So Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll begin at verse 13. This is God's holy word. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with priests, the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees from and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courtyards of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, beloved, as I mentioned, throughout history, God has taught, he has gathered, he has blessed, and he has encouraged his people by words and signs. In the Old Testament, there are many ways in which Christ and the benefits of the gospel were prefigured by ceremonies and sacrifices and feasts or festivals. God spoke and commanded in his word, and some of the things that he commanded were signs, like the sign of circumcision that we heard from Genesis 17 this afternoon. Word and sign to teach us about Christ and the blessing of being his people. In the New Testament, there is word and sign as well. All of the holy days are rolled up into the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, which is our holy day. And all of the signs and sacrifices and feasts and festivals, all of those pictures, all those signs are really combined into two great New Testament signs or sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so still in the New Testament age, we have word and sign that come together. We always need the word along with the sign so that we understand the sign properly. So I don't think it should be that surprising to us if we remember that that's God's usual way of teaching us and blessing us, that it shouldn't be surprising that here in Nehemiah 8, a chapter which has so emphasized the word that we also have the last part of this chapter telling us about a sign. In particular, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, as it's also called, or from the Hebrew, Sukkoth. 
Now, as we've been going through Nehemiah chapter 8, we've had two sermons already in this afternoon, the third one. I think that most of us, you know, the first sermon about the Word and the ministry of the Word, and we, yeah, we can take that, okay, we, we know something about that, that's what's happening on Sundays, and when we open our Bibles, ministry of the Word, good. Uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength, is your strength, that's great, that's going to help me this week, joy of the Lord is my strength, good. But now we come to verses 13 to 18. The festival of booths. <laughs> and I don't think it would be that surprising if maybe you were reading ahead and you were saying, okay, the ministry of the word, the joy of the Lord is our strength, but the feast of booths? They went out and got branches and made booths on the tops of their houses and lived in them? Don't know how I'm going to use that on Monday morning. Don't know really what that has to do with my life here in 2022 in, in Ontario, booths, tabernacles. Well, I think that the reason that we don't relate to the last part of Nehemiah the way that we do to the first part of Nehemiah is just we're not as familiar with what was happening there and what God intended to teach his people then in the Old Testament. And the more we understand that, the more that we see they were people living in this world, brought out of the city of destruction and making their pilgrimage to the heavenly city, and so are we. They were looking to the Christ to come. We are looking to the Christ who has come and who's coming again. That there are so many things that are similar for us and so much that we can learn here, even from something that at first glance, first read, may seem something so strange and so distant and so irrelevant to us. As joy was a great theme in the chapter already, we'll see that joy continues, especially in this feast. And as I said, because there's one covenant of grace from Genesis 3.15 on, one Savior, one Messiah, one Redeemer, we are pointed to Christ here, ourselves, in this chapter, and we learn lessons by God's grace that are relevant for you today as you live your lives, even in this New Testament age. Verse 13, we begin with a time marker. On the second day of the month, so this is the next day, uh, Nehemiah 8 started uh, on the first day of the seventh month, chapter 8, verse 2. Well, here it's the very next day, and there's a special meeting. And we see that the heads of families, in particular, were meeting with the priests and Levites. I think there's a whole line of application there that's very helpful for us. Uh, these are the heads of households. And they are those who want to know the Bible. They want to understand what the Bible says and what God requires of us. They are learning and understanding the Bible so that they can be leading their families in the things of God. It wasn't just to be left to the ordained leadership. Well, the priests and Levites can do all that. No, heads of families here are joining with the priests and Levites so that then they can go and minister the word of God, God's truth, in their families. There is a 
primary place to gathered worship and to the word preached by those called to that ministry, but never intended to be to the exclusion of home and family worship and teaching. The heads of families are there. Are you the head of your home? Then you're called by God to take leadership, to pastor your little flock. Would you have been there that day, the head of a family? Hope that you would have. Is leading your family maybe in family worship or or devotion something new? Well, it was new to all of us at one point. We either learned it from our parents growing up or someone else showed us. Don't be a mess. Just ask. If you're struggling with family worship at home, just ask. Talk to other people. Pray about it together. Ask for help or pointers. How do you do that? Do you have any ideas about this? I'm facing this. We can help each other in this. It's not just the church's role and responsibility. Heads of households, people in the home, we have to take these things as well and bless our children and the next generation in these things. Well, as the priests and Levites gather around together with the heads of families, uh, we read that there's a renewed awareness of God's commandments about a particular festival in God's word. Now, in the seventh month, the Day of Atonement would also be celebrated. We're not told here about the Day of Atonement on this occasion. It's not mentioned here. Considered it a little bit last time as the means to the great joy. The joy of the Lord is the joy of forgiveness primarily. For whatever reason, uh, the Day of Atonement is left out but there's a particular focus here on another festival that was rejuvenated at that time. There was rejuvenated obedience in particular with this festival, so that not since the days of Joshua had it been celebrated with the enthusiasm and the joy that it was in this day. This is the seventh month, the Jewish calendar, And on the 15th day of the seventh month, the month of Tishri, it relates to the end of of September or early October in our calendar, on our calendar, uh, God commanded the people to celebrate the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Uh, It's a more rare and rare sight in our culture today, but we used to have boys and girls things called phone booths. You hardly see them anymore. Phone booths. It's this little structure that you went into. It's always kind of cramped, but you go in and then there's a pay phone and you can call. That's what a booth is. And the people were commanded, as you heard tonight, to go and get branches and build these booths and, and spend time in them at this time of the year. You can read more about that Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. That's a fancy word that really just means a kind of tent, a temporary structure. So it's it's the same as a booth. Tabernacles. You can read about it in Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16, 
especially, and, and get the details of what they were being coming reacquainted with in the days of Nehemiah. And there were two main themes that were joined together in this feast in particular, which also come together wonderfully in a spiritual gospel sense, to which it all pointed. These things all pointed to something. It'd be a bit silly in a way to just go and get branches and live in a booth made of branches if it was meaningless, if it didn't really teach the people something. Well, and this whole festival taught the people particularly two wonderful themes. The first theme was agricultural, we could say. Agricultural. Exodus 34, 22 says, Celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. That's the feast of weeks. That's Pentecost. The first fruits of the harvest. And then you think of Pentecost in the New Testament when the apostles are preaching and the New Testament church is first being gathered in, the first fruits. And, the verse continues, the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. And that's this seventh month, the festival of ingathering, Leviticus 23, 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, Celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. And so that was a particular theme, the festival of tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. The first fruits had already been gathered, but now the fullness of the harvest was being brought in. So there is an agricultural theme. There is also a redemptive theme. When the people were delivered out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, they wandered in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And they lived in temporary dwellings, tents, booths. Even uh, God's name dwelt in the tabernacle as they wandered through the wilderness. And so there is this redemptive theme. The people had been brought out of Egypt, and as they're making their way to the promised land, this is how they lived. And God didn't want them to forget that time in their experience, in their nation's experience. And for these people in Nehemiah chapter 8, there is a double reminder or experience. They had been brought out of Egypt to Jerusalem, to the promised land. And just so very recently, they had been brought out of Babylon, to the promised land. Two ways to remember God delivering his people and bringing them to the place where they could dwell. And for both of those themes, understandably, there is great rejoicing. The bringing in of the harvest, we rejoice. That we were brought out of slavery and given the land, we rejoice. Deuteronomy 16 at verse 13 says, celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns, 
For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Those two great themes calculated to produce great joy in the people of God. The rabbis used to say, he who has not seen Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles does not know what rejoicing means. It was a high point of joy in the lives of the people of God. Well, what can we do with a passage like this? For this afternoon, to think about uh, what God would have for us. I want to consider this festival that the people celebrated in this rejuvenated way in the days of Nehemiah, and three major activities tied to that festival or symbolized in the festival of booze or tabernacles. And may it be an occasion for great joy for us as well. Three major activities in this festival. The first is gathering. Gathering. The second is giving. And the third is a going. So gathering, giving, and going. And I think you'll see how that just captures what's going on here. First, gathering. And I've already mentioned that agricultural theme. What was being gathered? Well, it was the gathering or ingathering of the crops, of the harvest, the food and the drink that they would have. You know, here we're in January. It's not that long past our own Thanksgiving. And the seventh month of Tishri is, is our fall when we do also have a harvest. And our Thanksgiving is at that time of the ingathering of the crops. You know, you still see the odd time, the signs, if you've eaten today, thank a farmer. Well, that's good. But thank God even more. Thank God for food and for farmers, both. It's something that we should never take for granted. Jesus prayed before he ate. He gave thanks to God for his food. And so there is this gathering of crops, and we eat every day, and we should be thankful to God for it. But the gathering of crops, beloved, is used throughout the Bible as a picture of God gathering his people into the storehouse of his own blessed presence, and ultimately into that, we could say, the great granary of glory. That's the great ingathering of God's people and ultimately into the new heavens and the new earth. That's why Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And he wasn't speaking about wheat and corn. He was speaking about people. He was speaking about his elect in the world and this great gospel enterprise of the word going out and people being saved and gathered in. If you're a Christian, you've been gathered in. You've been gathered in like the the fruit of the gospel. As the seed of the gospel has gone out, 
It produces good fruit. It saves people, and those people are gathered in. That's the picture. We pray to the Lord of the harvest, not only for workers, as Jesus taught us to pray, but for the harvest itself, that people would hear and believe. The people of old, the Israel of old, were brought out of Egypt by God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. That's a picture as well. Only God can deliver from slavery to sin and from guilt and death. And so you see this gathering imagery comes together with the redemptive imagery. What was God doing as he brought his people out of Egypt and brought them to the promised land? He was gathering them in. The Lord of the harvest gathering his people. And God is continuing to do that. He is saving people all over the world. The harvest is coming in. We had the eyes of faith. That's what we'd see. We just see that harvest being gathered in. In Numbers 29, we read something interesting that on this festival, the various sacrifices are prescribed. And and one of the particular sacrifices were bulls for the sin offering. Bulls for the sin offering. And it it was an interesting arrangement. On the first day of the festival, 13 bulls were to be offered. On the second day, 12 bulls. On the third day, 11 bulls. All the way down to the seventh day when seven bulls were to be offered. And if you count them all up, that's 70 bulls over the course of the week. The rabbis taught, even then, even as they became more and more eventually uh, self-centered and self-focused, the rabbis taught that those 70 offerings for sin pointed to the 70 nations of the world. They thought of the world that way, 70 nations, all being gathered together before God in the forgiveness of Messiah. And so already there in those sacrifices, this idea that God is gathering his people, like people gather in the harvest. He's gathering them, and they're gathered through the sin offering, pointing to the offering of Messiah. You know, it was at this festival in the New Testament we read in the Gospels by the time of Jesus that water as well was poured from a golden pitcher. And that represented prayers for winter rains, that God would send rain to enable the crops to grow. That's what's behind John 7, 35 to 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, this festival of booze, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. All of this in-gathering imagery, all of this Uh, imagery of God's people being gathered in, is centered and focused in Jesus Christ. The rains that water the earth so that it can be fruitful, Jesus Christ. And so he stands there on that great day in the festival, the last and greatest day, and does what only he could do. He points to himself and he says, this is all about me. Forgiveness for sin, it's in me. Refreshing living water, it's from me. 
Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you're thirsty, come to me. You're hungry, come to me. I'm the living bread come down from heaven. I'm the water. You'll never thirst. This is what's happening in the world right now. This is why the world continues. Even now in the church, there's wheat and weeds, wheat and tares. But one day, Matthew 24, 31, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. The great ingathering of the people of God. Have you been gathered by the gospel? Boys and girls, are you like gospel fruit? Have you trusted in Jesus? Then you're gathered. You're gathered into that great harvest of God. You've been harvested by sovereign grace so that you yourself are the fruit of the gospel. And if that's true, then bear good fruit. Think about all the ways that the Bible speaks about that as evidence of being saved, abiding in Christ, the true vine, abiding in his word. We bear good fruit because we ourselves are the fruit of the gospel. So there's this great theme of gathering and to see that and to see our part in that as well, to pray for workers, but to be involved in ourselves in all kinds of ways, to see God's people gathered in and fruitful. We need to go on to the second theme, and that's giving. Giving. There we need to go with other passages in the Bible to see how that relates to this festival. But this was an emphasis in the Feast of Tabernacles as well. Deuteronomy 16. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. And so that was Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and the Festival of Tabernacles. Those three great occasions. And then it says, No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Now this wasn't bringing something in order to purchase salvation from God. And that's not the way it is for us either. This was a response to God's grace and goodness in their lives. That they would return unto him a token of all that they had been blessed with themselves. What a lesson for us, that giving is part of this festival. As those who live by God's grace, God's gift to us, especially the indescribable gift of his son, but everything else is a gift. What do we have that we haven't received? If we are people who live by grace and in grace, we should be gracious, giving people. You know, that was so evident this past week, as I mentioned this morning. Gifts from other congregations to us uh, for the building project. But those really weren't just gifts to us. They were gifts to the Lord that we get to use amazingly. People made this offering to the Lord because he had been so gracious to them. And we get to use it. It's really quite humbling and a cause for great joy. Let's remember this giving aspect of the Feast of Booze. Freely you have received. Freely give. Don't be a dead end of God's 
gifts in your life. You've received the gospel. We've received the gospel. Don't be stingy with it. Don't keep it to yourself. Give it. Freely you've received, freely give. Be generous with the gospel and be generous with material things. Martin Luther said God made our hands the way he did with fingers with gaps between them so that money would pass through them more easily. That's a good reminder to us. Are we the dead ends of God's blessing that it just stops with us? Be generous with the gospel. Be generous with material things. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, in terms of the Jewish year, one writer said, at the time of the Festival of Booze, at that time, the temple treasury was opened to be filled again by the gifts of the faithful so that the poor and needy throughout the land might be satisfied. It was the ingathering of the crops and the people were generous so that there was enough to give to those who were in need. We've been given many things, beloved. The word, the gospel, the savior, one another, a building, material blessings that fill our lives. May it not be said of us that we appear before the Lord empty-handed. Not to win his favor, but to give evidence of his favor in our lives. So there is a great gathering here in this festival. And there is the theme of giving. But there's also this theme of going, of going. They lived in booze to remind them of the time when they were going from Egypt to the promised land. That's the whole thing about booze, these temporary structures. And this theme of going is not just to be a looking back to Exodus, the Exodus, but it is, or a looking around at their present time uh, in their lives, but also a looking ahead, a looking ahead. Live in temporary shelters, Leviticus 23, for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The Israelites were brought out of Egypt. They went through the wilderness, making their way to the promised land. And Christians throughout the ages have seen this as a picture of life. The Christian life. Crossing the Jordan, as the people did when they entered the promised land, crossing the Jordan has long been a symbol of death. The promised land is then that picture of glory, of the heavenly Canaan. And they lived in tents until they got there. Things that were not permanent, they were transitory. And that's what they needed to remember. Many Jews eventually saw the land as an end in itself. And they forgot this theme of going. 
And they said, well, we're here now. This is it. Even in the rebuilt Jerusalem of Nehemiah's day, the Jews were to be reminded in the Feast of Booze, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. But it was so easy to forget that. And they just said, no, it's the land. We're here. We've got our homes. It's here. That's not the way Abraham ever thought. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger. Did you see the irony there? He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Because it was only a picture. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builders is God. Living in booze for a few days of the year should have reminded the Jews that even in Jerusalem, even in the promised land, they were still, in another sense, in the wilderness of this world. And they were not in glory yet. The fullness hadn't come yet for them. The festival of booze was to teach them, and by extension it should teach us as well, to keep the pilgrim perspective. And this is the challenge of faith. To keep the pilgrim perspective. Yes, we've been brought out of sin and death and misery. But we haven't arrived yet. We haven't arrived. We need to remember that so that we don't get too attracted to this world and the things of this world which pass away as if this was the total reality, this was the final reality. And on the other hand, that we don't get overly discouraged by the sin and suffering of this world and the opposition and hostility and the misery of this world, which will also pass away. Living in booze was to remind the people of God that they were on their way, that they were going somewhere. And we need to remember that as well. And what a hope this is for us. Hope for body and hope for soul. And when we die, the Bible tells us that the soul upon death is made perfect in the full enjoying of God forever. And that one day, too, our bodies will be raised at the resurrection. This is what we need to remember. When we, when we go home to our warm, in the, you know, compared to the many people in the world and the history of the world, when we go to our opulent homes this afternoon, that we deliberately think, this is not my home. This is not my home. And when we experience life in our bodies, we say to our, our homes, this is a tent. This is a tent. And when we experience things in our bodies, we say, this is a tent. So that we don't have this cult of the physical that the world does. That they, they just idolize the human body and physical things. And also that we're not completely discouraged when this body is outwardly wasting away. Because what do you say? This is a tent. 
This is a tent. And we remember we're going somewhere. We're going. And we have this hope because of Christ. It's all because of Christ. And this tabernacle language, you see, was used of Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, it says he tabernacled among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew 2.15, we read that Jesus, as an infant, Joseph and Mary, they were in Egypt and they stayed there until the death of Herod and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I've called my son. You see, it's in Christ these things are fulfilled. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. This is Luke 9. They spoke about his departure. Literally, that's his exodus. His exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. All these themes are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we read, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We need to remember tents. We need to remember the things of this world. It's tents. It's temporary. It's transitory. You just have treasures on earth or your treasures in heaven. In this body, we're to take care of it. We're to be good stewards of it. But it's a tent. Boy, my hope sure isn't in this thing, in this body. What a hope we have. How the Feast of Tabernacles should should be something we have with us every day. These are tents. This is temporary. So that we don't focus, we don't get discouraged. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's the message of the festival of booths. Beloved, for we know that if the earthly tent... Listen, think of the festival of booths and then see what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us For this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Celebrate the festival of booths and the gathering and the giving and the going that it teaches us in Christ.